first part of the path of a prodigal we'll call the path of departure. Benjamin Franklin, he gave us the phrase that says, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? That means it's better to change your air conditioner filter rather than wait and have to change your air conditioner because you never change your filter, right? It captures the thought that a little bit of work, a little bit of correction ahead is way easier and way cheaper than it is after you already had a problem and something has messed up. The Bible tells us in James chapter 5, verse 20, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So when you convert a sinner, all the sins that they would have committed after their conversion is committed no more. Those will not be committed. The same can be said for a saint of God who maybe is on the path or if it's to start the path of moving away from God. If we correct ourselves, if we never actually take that step, if we never leave the church, imagine the sin that would never be committed, right? So it is beneficial for us to recognize the road signs that we may come across that lets you know that maybe you're headed towards a path of departure, which is the first part of the path of a prodigal. We recognize that a turn away from God, it's not a sudden or a swift thing, right? Um, when we're speeding on the road of life towards the end goal of heaven, we're on the path of salvation. You're not going to see 90-degree turns on that road. It's not something that is sudden. It's something that's swift. The things that you'll notice is a really long deceleration lane. So over here, you're going to have plenty of space to slow down, to ease up, to take your time. You're also going to notice, if you're wanting to get off the path to heaven and salvation, they're going to be wide and real gentle curves that steers away from the direction that you really should be going. You'll notice ads. We call them temptations. But they're things that grab your attention. But they only advertise the fun and the pleasurable side of what will happen if you get off the road to heaven. The freedom from the rules that's going on at the master's house, at the father's house, right? Paul, he wrote to us in 1 Corinthians 11 and 31, for if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we can look into this book and we can judge ourselves, if we can align, if we can recognize when we're messing up and then readjust to align to the standard that is the word of God, then we won't ever actually find ourselves taking the pathway off of the road to heaven. We'll ultimately keep ourselves on the path of salvation. What are some red flags or some warning signs that you may notice? If you come across or you have the opportunity to take an exit off the road of salvation, what does that look like? Let's see if we can identify any warning signs in the parable. 
there are two that I'd like to talk about. The first one that we're going to look for is the warning sign of selfishness. Luke 15 and 11 says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And divide unto him the living, his living. So here, the son has decided that instead of waiting for his portion to be given to him through the process of time, he wants it now. He wants to know what's his, and he wants it right then. The son's focus has shifted from growing the assets and the wealth of the family unit that he's a part of to only being focused on what's his and what he can grow and what he can get out of the family. He begins trying to find ways that he can advance only himself. He pulls his resources away from his father. And what happens? As a side note, anytime you pull your investments and your resources from the kingdom of God, you'll never see a growth. You will always see a decline in the worth of the resources that you have available. Selfishness is one of the first signs that warn us that we're veering towards a path of departure from the church. Another warning sign, and this is one that's pretty easy to recognize, it's the warning sign of isolation. In verse 12, it says, And the younger brother, younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger gathered all together. So the younger son, he knows now what's his. He knows that this is mine. This is dad's. This is my brother's. That's mine. That's mine, and this is mine. So after we see a spirit of selfishness, we see a spirit of isolation. He began to gather the things that was his and pull away from those in his family. And in the church today, what does that look like? It may look like us backing off from our attendance to church functions, and that will roll over into our attendance to actual church services. Isolation may look like discouraging our kids from becoming involved or being so involved in the church and the activities the church has. It may look like getting to service later and later and leaving earlier and earlier, reducing your interaction among your brothers and your sisters, withholding praise and worship during a service, or when you're home, or when you're alone, experiencing a nobody cares, or nobody will notice me if I'm not there. If you have those feelings, if you see things like this happening, realize that that's a warning sign. That's something that you can see and you can recognize is a warning that you are headed on a path of departure, which is the first part of the path of a prodigal. When a person has driven past the warning sign of isolation and they do not correct themselves, it's only a matter of time before they do like the prodigal son does and they take their journey. They leave the church. A person at this stage will be only one excuse away from leaving the church. And it doesn't matter what the excuse is. 
but you can rest assured the enemy is going to give you an excuse to see just how close you are to that exit on the road. See if you'll go ahead and you'll flip your blinker and take that exit and get off the path to salvation. You will always have an excuse. The enemy will make sure of that. But again, it doesn't really matter what the excuse is because at this point, most any excuse will work. We've heard, I guess, what would rate excuses from severe to not so severe. Um, some people will say that they just wasn't being used enough. Uh, or maybe they'll say that somebody said something. Somebody hurt my feelings. Or they didn't like the direction the chairs was facing. They thought there should have been seven across instead of six across or something. It doesn't matter. And you can hear all different types of excuses that's being publicized by people who have left the church of God. But it's interesting. If we look past those excuses, we'll see evidence that these people drove right past these two warning signs at some point in their life. People drove past and did not take heed to the warning signs that was there. So they're on a path of departure from the church, from the Father's house. Did you know that every excuse that a person can come up with, can go through and then use as a reason for leaving the church and being lost. Did you know that there will be a witness come judgment day that will be called on to render your excuse invalid? Did you know that? Jesus said, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus said, when you're standing before me in judgment and you're going to say, well, this is the reason why I didn't come hear you, Jesus. This is the reason why I wouldn't listen to you. He said, we're going to call someone who went a distance further than you ever did to hear someone who was not as great as the person that's standing before you right now. In Matthew, Jesus says, woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And then this next part, and thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell, for at the mighty works, the miracles, the signs that you've seen, which have been done in thee, have been done in Sodom, it would remain until this day. He was telling them that they would have repented. Sodom and Gomorrah, the city that God destroyed, if they would have seen the same things that those people saw, they would have repented and that city would still be with us today. He tells them, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. I was uh, When I was preparing for this, Lesson, there was a story that came to my mind. I heard when I was a child, uh, I think I was probably around eight years old, visiting preacher, he came, and I was actually paying attention to the service. That was great. I don't remember all the details of the story, so you have to forgive me for paraphrasing, but I remember the lesson that I learned and that I still carry with me to this day. The preacher said that him and his family... They were poor, and they were from the 
wrong side of the tracks. Uh, it was just him, his brother, and his dad. For some reason, I can't remember if he gave the details or not. His mother wasn't in the picture, so it was just the three of them. Somehow, some way, again, I don't remember the details, his father received the Holy Ghost. And in their town, there was only one church that was a Pentecostal church. So when he got the Holy Ghost, he immediately started attending that church, and he brought his two sons with him. It wasn't too long after they had been attending service. It was just a few services. The pastor of the church comes to him and says, Sir, I'm going to, uh, with all due respect, ask you to, uh, he was kind of, he said, well, I'm just going to have to say it. He said, it's come to my attention that there's been some of our children in the church. They have gotten head lice. They came from your two boys, and I'm going to ask you to leave and never come back. He said this in front of this eight-year-old boy, in front of his brother, to his dad, in the middle of the church. Not, not behind the pulpit. The way I understood the story was he was standing out there. But people hear stuff, right? So do you know what the dad said? He said, with all due respect, I will not be leaving this church. For my boy's sake, I can't leave the church. He said, you can expect us three to be here every service. When we get here, we'll wait till service starts, and then we'll come right here, and we'll sit on the back row right here after service has started, and then we'll be the first ones to leave so no one has to interact with us. But I will be coming to church because he had got a hold of something that meant more than anything that the devil could throw at him, any excuse that the devil could give him for giving up, right? On the way home, he said he remembers asking his daddy. He was heartbroken. He was embarrassed. He was only eight, so he didn't understand everything that was going on. He said, are we going to, to go back to service tonight? And his dad just said, we'll be there. He said he couldn't imagine the humbleness and the strength that his dad had to have to push through attending a church every single service with it on your mind that the pastor and the people do not want you there. But he continues the story and he says, some years had gone by, that church was electing a pastor. And do you know who they elected as the pastor of their church? It was the eight-year-old boy that came and sat on the back row of their church with head lice. They elected him as their pastor, and they loved him, and that church at that time was growing, and it was a wonderful church. I want to tell someone tonight that there's no hardship and there's no problem. There's no relationship. There's no job. There's no anything worth going to hell over. There's nothing worth watching our children go to hell because we don't affect just ourselves. We affect all those around us. What if he had been offended and he had left? The pastor of that church at that time would not be in the position that he was. Imagine. I do an exercise, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just telling you what Brother Aaron does. I face, when I face a situation, and it's something that I get really upset about or something that's coming against me, uh, and I also use it when my children are arguing too. It works really good for that. I say, 
does this situation, does what I'm facing right now, will it matter in 10 years? Will what I'm going through or what I'm upset about in 2,000 years, is it going to matter? Is anyone going to care? Is that going to impact someone's eternal path that they're on? Is someone going to be in hell in 2,000 years or in heaven in 2,000 years from this situation? If the answer is it don't matter, well, then it shouldn't matter to me. I need to just buckle up and get over it. And I use that with my kids too. They just need to get over it. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter who had the ball first, right? <laughs> in 3,000 years, nobody's going to know who had the ball first. Even with warning signs that the Lord places on our path, the guardrails that we have, we still understand and we know the reality is that some people end up on the path of a prodigal. We might can even testify ourselves. Maybe some of us were once prodigals. Out in the world, living a life of sin and wasting our substance. There's no need to go into depth of what's at the end of the path of departure. We all know and realize what's at the end of that. Uh, I think it's safe to say that a visit to a place called Rock Bottom is not too far in your future on the path of departure from the Lord. In Luke, I start again at uh, verse 13. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his sustenance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. Isn't that just the way the world works? As soon as you get out, you run out of everything that you can lean on, things start happening, and you need some help. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Let's remember that. He joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain, that means desired, greatly desired, to fill his belly with the husk, uh, think corn, stuff like that, that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread and enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me is one of the hired servants. This is the point in a prodigal's life where they look up and it's like they wake up and they realize the extent of their sin. It's the point in a prodigal's life when they realize that sin's not a, an a la carte option. You can't pick and choose. They realize that, pen, that sin is a package deal. You get the whole thing when you choose sin. It's where they realize that the ads, the temptations that they seen while in the church, they was only telling part of the story. It was false advertising. The loneliness, the hurt, the abuse, the frustration, the lack of control, and the enslavement. They thought they was getting freedom, but the enslavement of addictions, none of those things was advertised. None of those was at the front end of those ads. It's where they look around, they wonder how they ended up in such a far country from the Father. No one ever intends to go far from the Father's house. Perhaps they only intend to go just over the hill where the Father can't see what they're doing, where they don't feel as suffocated with you know the, the people watching. Maybe they just want to get out of earshot so the Father can't hear what they're listening to or what they're saying. 
just far enough to where the rules of the Father's house don't apply. But sin will always, it will always, without fail, just like God can't change, sin will always take a person further than they ever intended on going, than they ever wanted to go. It's where they come to themselves, a prodigal, at this point in their life, and they realize there's famine out here, there's problems, but my father's house has what I need and then more than enough. He said, the father, my, the father's servants, they have bread and then enough. Like they, they got leftovers. I'm out here starving to death. It's when they realize that the world outside the church, it's bad, but there's always more than enough of what they need in the church. And it's at this point that a prodigal begins their path of return. And the path of return, when we consider the path of a prodigal, the path of departure and the path of return. The path of return for a prodigal is often more perilous than the path of departure. It's usually easy to ease out, to slip out, to take those exits and go out into the world. But coming back is a different story because you see the enemy, he knows that there's a chance that a person will come to their senses. He knows that it's likely that you'll come to your senses at some point and he has prepared off-ramps and ads, billboards to tempt you, the prodigal, into abandoning your journey back to the Father's house. Okay, There are three off-ramps that the enemy has provided in every prodigal's life on their return to the Father's house. The first one is the appearance of improving circumstances or the illusion of improving circumstances. When the famine hit, and the son had a need, something he couldn't meet, was returning to the father's house the only option he had? Absolutely not. What happened? Bam, he had a need, and guess what? There's someone who's hiring. They need some pigs fed. He has an option, something else that is less than what God intends for you, No doubt, whenever he heard about this job, maybe he's seen it in the paper, I'm using today's vernacular, he said, oh man, this is just what I need. I ran out of money, the cupboards are empty, I can work, I can work really hard, maybe I can move up, I can get back on my feet, and I won't have to go back to the Father's house. He had an alternative option. When you start to run out of options, the enemy will make sure that there are multiple opportunities to settle for less than what God has for you. But it may look appealing on the surface. The reality is it's just like that other prodigal son. You'll end up working and you'll receive nothing in return. Your situation will not improve. Only sin has the audacity to demand someone work and only pay them wages of death. As prodigals begin their journey back to the house of God, it's our duty as a church, as a mother to them, to pray that they aren't tricked by the enemy's deceit and settle for less than what God has planned for them. The first off-ramp is the illusion of improving circumstances. The second is the fear of rejection. The prodigal said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy 
to be called thy son. The prodigal, he looked around at his situation. He looked back at the sin that he had committed, the way that he had wasted his resources, the way he wasted his time. And he said, I'm not worthy. The family will reject me because I'm not worthy. Because of the things I've done, my family will not accept me. It is a fundamental human need. It is a fundamental emotional human need all humans have. It is a sense of belonging. The sense of belonging or the need to belong is defined as the need of humans to affiliate with and be accepted by members of a group. It is a human need, just like love is a need. It is a human need to be associated with and accepted by a group. It's more than being acquainted with others. It's more than knowing the names of people. It's centered on the reciprocation of attention and support between the group and the individual. The group provides support and attention to the individual. The individual provides attention and support to the group. It is this emotional need that causes us to seek out long-term relationships. Is anyone married? Long-term, stable relationships. It comes into play every time that you get dressed, whether you realize it or not. You're subconsciously considering whether or not the members of the group or groups that you are affiliated with will accept you and what you're wearing. It comes into play when you are in a group of people. Anywhere, it's the automatic me compared to them that goes on in your mind and you can't turn it off. It's just automatic. We call it, you know, sizing people up or anything like that. That's all that is. It is that emotional need and the evaluation of that need being met. If all a prodigal has to look forward to when they return to the father's house is being marginalized and never accepted, if they only have rejection waiting for them at the Father's house, they won't be able to make it. If all we do is open our doors as a church, but we never open our lives to the prodigals when they return, when they repent, and when they're living for God, chances are they won't survive. The enemy, as they're on their road back to God, will be playing over and over and over in their mind. You'll never be accepted. They'll talk about you. They know the things you've done. And when you walk in those doors, they're going to judge you. I'll rebuke in the name of Jesus right now every voice and lie that is telling any of our prodigals these lies. They are false. That is not the truth. You continue on your journey back to God and see what God has in store for you. The last off-ramp. We've got the illusion of circumstances improving. It looks like things are getting better, so you don't have to go back to church. We have the lie, the enemy will tell you, of rejection, that you will be rejected, you won't be accepted. And then the last one, and this one's advertised really hard because this happens when you're getting really close, is the fear of partial restoration. In the same breath that we find the fear of rejection, for the prodigal son, we also find the fear of an incomplete restoration or partial restoration. He said, I will arise and go to my father. 
And I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Rejection. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Partial restoration. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he, the son said unto him, Father, he had it rehearsed. He already had it planned. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father interrupts him. He didn't get to finish his planned speech. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatty calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. A prodigal will come across big billboards advertising that they'll never have life like they had it before because of the mistakes that they've made. The enemy will tell you, oh, some people will accept you. You'll probably even get a friend or two. But it'll never feel the same way. You'll never feel the presence of God like you used to when you was praying and the presence of the Lord was sweeping there when it was just you and him. The enemy will be telling them, your family can't be put back together. Your children, they're lost, and it's all your fault because you're the one who left the church. But I'm here to declare louder and the lies that the enemy is telling our prodigals that God is in the restoration business. My God will restore. Come on back, my brother. Come on back, my sister. You can find everything that you need in the Father's house. God's not in the business of abandoning his children. He doesn't give them up for adoption for the world to take and abuse. My God's not like it. My God restores. Even now, he's looking down the paths of those prodigals. He's waiting with anticipation to wrap his arms around them. He's more than ready to restore our status as a son or a daughter with the same power that we had before we left. The father put on his son a ring, and that wasn't something that was for decorations or for flashiness. That was a signet ring used to seal documents. It had the power and the authority of the family name, and that was the name of the Father. When you come back, you'll have the same power and authority that Jesus gave you. You'll still have the same powerful, wonder-working name available to you when you come back to the Lord. He will cover our sins and the blood that he shed on Calvary's cross, and he'll put the shoes of sonship on us. Only a son or a daughter had shoes. Slaves had no shoes. He said, no, we're not just going to partially restore you. You're going to have full restoration when you come back to my house. Let's clap our hands to the Lord right now. Lord, I thank you for the restoration power that you give us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you look and you care about us, Lord, and you will restore all when we come back with a repentant heart to you. Hallelujah, Jesus. The path of a prodigal, it's avoidable. It's marked with warning signs for us. The path of a prodigal takes a person much further than they ever planned to go. 
and the path of a prodigal is littered with obstacles and distractions to those who are trying to come back. But I'm here this afternoon to declare to Wallace Fridge and to all of our prodigals, if you want to see a turnaround in every aspect of your life, come on back to the Father's house. If you want to feel the sweet presence of God the way that you felt the night you got the Holy Ghost, come on back to the Father's house. Do not settle for less than what God has for you. Don't take the off-ramp of your circumstances improving. Ignore the lies that you will not be accepted and that you will only receive a partial restoration. Wallace Ridge Pentecostal Church is a place that will love you and be your advocate during your restoration. We'll stand by you. We'll pray for you. We'll love you. And we will welcome you back into the fold, into the kingdom of God. God is looking for churches that he can trust to be the ending of a path of a prodigal. He's looking for a church that, like a loving mother, welcomes a child coming back home. A child with a repentant heart. God wants us to be a church that flashes the banner of restoration and hope so brightly that the prodigals on their path back, they don't even see the exits or the opportunities the enemy has given them to give up on their journey. Let us be the beacon of light in this world that is growing ever darker. What did Paul say? Paul said, but if our gospel be hid... It's hid from them that are lost. Let's be a stepping stone to another salvation, not a stumbling block to their doom. The only thing better than going to heaven is bringing someone else with you. Let's stand right now. Let's ask the Lord, help us, Jesus, to be a church, the church that you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to continue to be a church that you could trust with the fragile soul of a prodigal. Lord, we want to please you and do your will. Let us be the end path of those prodigals for the lost. Oh, don't let their path end in the death and destruction. Don't let it end in an eternity in hell. But let the path end here, right here at these altars, God. Let this path for the prodigals end here in your church. I speak it and I declare it right now in the name of Jesus. God, you've already got prodigals that are pointed back in this direction. They are already on their way. I believe it. Do you believe it, church? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I love you, my Jesus. I love you, my Jesus. God, we want your glory to shine so bright in this place and in our hearts that all the prodigals can see is a God with his church at the end of their road with love on their faces waiting for them. Let this place be a place that you can have restoration and hope. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that Wallace Ridge is a church that opens its doors and its hearts to everyone who is on their journey to God, regardless of where they're at in that path. I'm thankful that Wallace Ridge is a place of restoration for the prodigals and for the lost. If you will, let's bow our heads. Jesus. I pray your blessings and your guidance on everyone who is under the sound of my voice tonight. I thank you for ensuring that we are a church prepared to receive prodigals, prepared to receive the lost. Let us always be a place that you can trust with a prodigal on their way back home. Lord, let the path of a prodigal end 
and the path of salvation begin right here in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Pastor didn't tell me to. I'd already started preparing this message that we wouldn't have any music. So you have an extra amount of time to fellowship, enjoy each other's company. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. Enjoy each other. Greet one another as we transition to our evening service. <laughs>